Thank you for your kind uh, invitation to have me preach once again uh, here. Uh, and uh, thank you, Brother Joe. Amen, Brother. Appreciate the opportunity yes. and the privilege, Brother. Um, before that thing begins to roll, I wonder. We were in Mexico and we were preaching in a village under an apple tree, brother. <laughs> Chickens, dogs, a pig went walking by. We didn't have all this stuff no. to worry about. <laughs> Just preach, brother. <laughs> but I'm glad we have it. I'm glad we have it. Open your Bibles uh, tonight. Matthew chapter 22. I want to read a few verses. And actually I'm going to read three texts tonight. And we'll begin with this text. Sorry, Brother Joe. Have you got there yet? Next Sunday. Next Sunday? Matthew 22. I promise to leave you something to preach. Thank you, Brother. (laughs) Matthew 22, verse 35 says, then one of them, the them refers to the Pharisees, uh, one of the lawyers among the Pharisees, one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, trying to trick him, trying, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I think it's very important for us to know that the lawyer only asked what was the first. Yes, and Jesus said, you need to understand there's two of them. Yes. Yes. First and great commandment. The second is like unto it. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments, and all the law and the prophets. The phrase law and prophets, I think, is found seven times in the New Testament. It refers to the Old Testament in summary. You can search that out for yourself. But, uh, uh, and I'll leave that for you to do some studying. But that's what I understand the text to mean. Everything that the Old Testament is speaking about, the law and the prophets, everything that they're speaking about is loving God and loving your neighbor. The whole of the law and the prophets are speaking on those two subjects. Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, those were the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 5, in verse 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled. All the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Go with me now to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 
First Timothy 1 and verse 5, we're just going to pull one verse out of this text and we will stay here after I make a few comments and come back to this text. Now the end of the commandment is this. The end of the commandment is charity. Out of a pure heart, out of a good conscience, and a faith unfeigned. Three words are found in the text that I read this evening. The word law, the word love, and the word liberty. It is not common for many to think that love and liberty can go hand in hand with law. Those things seem to be inconsistent. But these three texts, and others like them, teach us that law, love, and liberty can and do dwell together in a peaceful relationship. Yes, amen. There is a great deal of controversy over the issue of the law of God. Yes, there is. Controversy over whether the law of God has any place in the New Testament, Christianity. Controversy over whether a true Baptist ought to adhere to the law of God or whether love alone is the guiding factor uh, for Baptists, for Christians and for Baptists in particular. And controversy over whether Christians ought to be instructed to fulfill the law. One of the things that have broken my heart over the years that I have been in the ministry is to watch churches first become divided over this issue. Right. And then watch churches cease to fellowship one with another over this issue. Many a night has been spent with tears in my eyes yeah. over this issue. This division, this strife. It is not my intention this evening to create more controversy. No. God knows my heart. Amen. Or to publicly correct anyone who may cor not agree with me over the message that I'm going to deliver tonight. Instead, I just simply hope to cast some light upon the controversy itself. And perhaps there will be someone here tonight that might be helped a little bit to understand before I preach, I think it is very important for you to understand what I am saying and what I'm not saying. First, I do not believe, nor do the Scriptures teach, that by observing the law of God, any sinner may become a Christian. It is impossible. No. Absolutely impossible for a sinner to become a Christian by observing the law of God. We are not justified before God by the keeping of the law. No. We are justified before God when we repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. As Amen. Our Secondly, I do not believe that an outward observance of the law of God helps to complete my salvation. Right. Or yours. Amen. You are complete in Christ if you are a Christian. That's what yes. the Scripture says in the book of Colossians. Yes, you are complete in Christ. And you are complete in Christ and not Christ plus the law. 
you are complete in Christ. Thirdly, I do not believe that an outward observance of the law can or will present you wholly before God. Positional sanctification is in Christ alone. He has sanctified us by His offering at Calvary's cross. Number four, I do believe that the law of God as a bilateral covenant of works. Now we got several levels of Christians in this room tonight. And I'm going to stop and define some of my terms. Some of you are new. Some of you may not even be Christians. I just threw out a term. A bilateral covenant of works. Bi. It means two. Bicycle, right? Not a tricycle, which has three wheels, but a bicycle. It means two. A bilateral covenant is an agreement between two parties, both of them engaging to commit to one thing. God says, if you do this, then I'm going to do that. God speaks to Israel and says, here's my law, do it, and when you do, I will bless you. Israel says, okay, we'll do it. Two parties entered into an agreement. A covenant of works on Mount Sinai. Yes. I, but I believe, and I believe the Scripture teaches, that that bilateral covenant of works has been completely destroyed by Jesus Christ at the cross. Hebrews 8.13, I think, is going to confirm that. At the finished work of Christ, that covenant of works was abrogated, destroyed. Listen carefully. And that includes three aspects of that covenant. Moral, civil, and ceremonial. Good. Okay? Moral, civil, and ceremonial. All three in that covenant of works was abrogated at the cross. Yes. Destroyed at the cross. I also believe that there are two kinds of covenant. One is this bilateral, this two parties entering into a covenant together on the basis of if one will do this, then the other one will do that. God says, if you do this, then I will do that. This if-then formula is found throughout the Old Testament, particularly in the law and the books of Moses. But there is another one, another covenant, and it is a unilateral covenant covenant of grace. Unilateral means one person entered into a covenant to do something on the behalf of others. God said to Israel, if you do this, I'll bless you. That's works. God says in the new covenant, I'm going to bless you through my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The bilateral covenant is a covenant of works. The unilateral covenant is a covenant of grace. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Bilateral covenant is a means of works to gain a blessing from God. Unilateral covenant is the evidence of, of uh, shows up evidence of grace bestowed. Both 
both covenants, listen carefully to this next statement, both have the moral law included in them. This one had the Ten Commandments on Exodus chapter 20, along with all the rest of the rules. This one says, I will write my law upon your heart. This one says, the law is written on stone. This one says, the law is written in your heart. Yeah. I believe that the initial and primary purpose of the moral law, the Ten Commandments, okay, remains in place today and is an important part of the Christian life. Amen. Yes. Though the bilateral covenant works has been abrogated, yet the initial purpose of God with regard to the moral law has not been. Follow with me. Right. Just a matter of review now. I'm going to catch you up. I'm not using the phrase law in my message tonight to refer to a bilateral covenant of works. I am not using it that way. Okay? Instead, I am using the phrase law to refer to what I'm calling the moral law, what is called the moral law in the commentaries and men before me, are the Ten Commandments. And they, I believe, remain in existence today. Yes. And have been in existence <coughs> since creation. Yes, sir. Amen. They have been in existence since creation. That's right. Now let me insert some history here, real quick. <coughs> In relation to this issue, among Baptists, and we're a Baptist church here tonight, and we're Baptist people, in relation to this issue among Baptist people, many Baptists have placed a great amount of emphasis upon the 1646 Baptist Confession of Faith. You may know or may not know about that. I'm giving you some history here. That they are placing that emphasis on the 1646 as opposed to the 1689 or the 1833. Right. Okay? So, we're going to focus on the 1646 for just a minute. Listen, we as Baptist people do not place man-made documents above the Word of God. We don't do that. The Word of God is our final authority. Okay? We have one final authority is the Word of God. On the other hand, we ought to appreciate what our Baptist forefathers have said, and I believe if we're wise, we will seek to understand what they said and what they meant by what they said. Not just what they said, but what they meant by what they said by reading other things that they said. Each succeeding generation of believers since the first century have been built upon the foundation of, that, of their forefathers before them. Each generation fallen. Men have risen up and died. The next generation have built upon what they have established. And that goes on until we are here tonight. And we have a huge amount of information out there regarding what our forefathers believed. And we ought to look at it and we ought to try to understand why they said what they said. The 1646 Confession is preferred by those who teach that the whole law of God was abrogated, as I said, or destroyed at Calvary. They prefer that's 1646. 
But secondly, they prefer it because they believe that no New Testament Christian is under any Old Testament law. Okay? I've actually had people tell me that, so I'm using that word. Let me give you a little history. Soon after the 1646 was published and distributed among Baptists, many questions arose among those Baptists. Uh, and questions were raised as to certain statements in it. In light of those questions, an appendix was quickly penned and attached to the 1646. If you don't know anything about the appendix, you need to look it up. 1646 does not stand alone. It stands with its appendix, which was attached to it very quickly after it was published. Read the appendix if you want to tonight, but I'm going to read you part 10. Listen to what? The same men who wrote the 1646 wrote the appendix. Listen to what they said in part 10. Though we be not now sent to the law as it was in the hand of Moses to be commanded thereby, yet, listen to these next words, Christ in His Gospel teacheth and commandeth us to walk in the same way of righteousness and holiness that God by Moses did command the Israelites to walk in. Those are the men who wrote the 1646. That's not the end of the statement. All the commandments of the second table being still delivered unto us by Christ and all the commandments of the first table also as touching the life and spirit of them. In this brief sum, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. All the commandments of the second table, I'll explain that in just a minute, and all the commandments of the first table, considering the life and spirit of them. You see, our Baptist forefathers did not look at the Ten Commandments as a letter, just a mere letter. The Jews did that. They did not believe they were committing murder when they were nailing Jesus, committing Jesus Christ to Pilate and having him nailed to the cross. The letter of the law, they didn't believe they had failed in that area. But Jesus Christ came and said, there's a whole lot more to this. There's life here. There's spirit of the law here. I wonder if this evening, if I were to say, uh, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain, what would be the first thought that would come to your mind? And you would say, probably most of you would say, I wouldn't use the name of God as a curse word. Right? Okay, But have you read in Proverbs where the writer of the Proverbs says don't give, make me rich and don't let, give, make me poor but, but give me that which is convenient so that I don't steal and blaspheme the name of God. Stealing is part of taking the name of God in vain. Wow, that means it's a whole lot broader than yes. just the letter of it. The writers of the appendix of the 1646 said Christ in His Gospel teaches and commanded us to walk 
in all the commandments of the first table as touching the life and spirit of them. And that is summarized in, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Now, in that statement, they spoke of the first table and the second table. Some of you maybe don't know what that is. There's ten commandments on the first table. There's four, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Summarized in two, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. On the second table, there's six, summarized in, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Two right. tables. Two tables. As I said when I read Matthew 22, he, the Pharisee said, What's the great commandment? And Christ said, Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. He just put them all together. And then summarized it said, The whole of the law and the prophets. This thing of loving God and loving your neighbor, the whole of the law and prophets hang on this thing. Many who adopt the 1646 Baptist Confession of Faith do not want to speak of the appendix. Mm -hmm. Some of them don't even know that it exists. It's out there for those of you who want to do your own research on this. The statement within the 1646 appendix is exactly what I believe. But let us leave off what men have said and come back to what God has said. Yeah. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. Now, Paul says, the end of the commandment is charity. Out of a pure heart and a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. Now here, it raises the question in my mind at least, what was Paul teaching us when he said that the end of the commandment is charity? The end of the commandment is love. What was Paul saying? Well, let's break down the words of that statement. First, in context, when Paul uses the word commandment in verse 5, he is referring to the law of God. Verse 7, uh, uh, the context in verse 7 says, desiring to be teachers of the law. Verse 8, knowing, but we know that the law is good. Verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. And we don't want to get into these verses yet, but there's... There, it's, all of this context confirms what Paul is saying in verse 5. The word charity. So the word commandment is talking about law. The word charity. The word charity is found in 1 Corinthians 13. It is a word that we translate into love. In fact, it comes from the Greek word agape, which is from agapeo, used in Matthew 22, 37 and 39, where Jesus said the great commandment is to love God. The same root word that he used there is used here by Paul. The English word end becomes then the focus of the study. Look up the English word end in the Greek concordance and what you will find in that word is it means that it is uh, set out a definite point. A defined goal. <coughs> Listen to the next definition. A resulting purpose. The end, goal, purpose of the law is love. <coughs> Paul is teaching us that when God gave the first and second tables of the Ten Commandments, His end goal, His defined purpose, 
was to teach us about love. To teach us what it is to love. There are other purposes stated in the New Testament. One of them is without the law, there's no knowledge of sin. There's other purposes stated and sprinkled out throughout the Scriptures. But the the ultimate, the end goal here in mind, what God had in mind when He gave those ten words, those ten commandments, is to mark out for us what it means to love. It is true that God destroyed the law as a bilateral covenant of works. That is true. And in that was the Ten Commandments as a means of works. That was laid aside. But it is not true that in destroying that bilateral covenant of works that God intended to destroy His intended purpose of the Ten Commandments. When God gave them, He had a purpose in mind. Paul is teaching us here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, exactly the same thing that Jesus Christ taught in Matthew 22. So let's go to Matthew 22. Jesus said unto him in verse 37, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first great commandment and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. All of it. John Gill's commentary on verse 40 where he said on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. John Gill said uh, that Jesus is referring to, quote, everything respecting duty that is suggested in the law or is more largely explained and pressed in any of the writings of the prophets is summarily comprehended in these two sayings. Hence, love is the fulfilling of the law. If all the law and the prophets hang on these two statements, then love is the fulfilling of the law. Most people who oppose the teaching of the Ten Commandments as part of the Christian life refer to the word law with words like fear, curses, condemnation, judgment. There is some truth to that. But the problem with those words doesn't have to do with the law. It has to do with our inability to keep the law in its perfection. When our Lord was faced by a Pharisee asking a question about the greatest law, He chose to speak of another purpose of the law. He did not say the greatest commandment is, you don't keep this, I'm going to throw you in hell. He didn't say... Do you remember what took place on Sinai? you remember the fire and the thunder and the, and the darkness and the smoke? you remember that? He didn't say that. This is God speaking to mankind, to, to Jews who had the law given to them by God Himself. And when it came time to explain what the purpose of it was and the greatest of it was, He said, it's about love. It's about loving God. It's about loving your neighbor. 
There's no question there was fire and rumblings and thunders on Mount Sinai. There's no question about that. But that was abrogated. That was destroyed. But not so the Ten Commandments. Amen. The intended purpose to teach us how to love God and love our neighbor. The Old Testament law (laughs) and the prophets are profitable. You believe that? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It goes on. All Scripture, all the Old Testament is profitable. I find it difficult to find the profitability in the first eight chapters of 1 Kings. <laughs> or for, I'm sorry, first eight chapters is the Chronicles where that whole list of names is. Yes. Now, there, if you haven't read that lately, uh, it's a task. <laughs> All right, I'm speaking from the heart tonight. <laughs> well, you read that, and every once in a while, God just throws in a little nugget, and it just stops you in yes. your track and say, yes. "Wow, yes. where'd that come from?" Yes, yes. amen. Yes. As an early Christian, I just picked up the scripture, and started reading. Mm-hmm. Well, how much did you understand, Brother Pat? Yeah, maybe about that much. <laughs> I just read it, got through with it, read it again. Asked my wife, are you coming to bed yet? Four o'clock in the morning, two o'clock, two o'clock. Are you tired yet? Are you coming to bed? I'm re- I'll finish up in a minute. Got a couple more chapters. <laughs> what I learned from that is this. God will give you something. Yes. If you just read. Yes, you will. And from that point to this, I've been telling Christians, you have a hard time reading scriptures, just read it. Just read it. Try to get through it in one year if you can. Just read it. And as you're reading it, God's going to give you something. There's something there in the words of Christ that we need to understand. There's something there in that text in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5 that I think is missing in our understanding about this issue of law. All the negatives have been magnified but this issue has not been. Why? Why has not the intended purpose of God, the goal of the Almighty and given ten commandments as love, why has not been that been magnified? Deuteronomy 6, right in the smack dab middle of the law of God, Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 and 6, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. What does that sound like to you? Sounds like God is saying to the nation of Israel, we're giving them the law. This is not about the letter, it's about the heart. Right. It's about love. Leviticus. Not Leviticus. Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah 24, verse 7. God says in Jeremiah 24, verse 7, I and I will give thee. A heart, them, and heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people. Amen. The Hebrew word behind the English word "know" in Jeremiah twenty-four verse seven is a word that means to know in a personal and intimate way. It's not just to know the facts. A lot of people know the facts about God, but God is not talking about knowing the facts about Him. God is talking about the intimate relationship with Him. In fact, we could translate it love. 
I will give them a heart to love me. And when they, I give them a heart to love me, then, then they shall be my people. Do you want to know who the people of God are on the face of the earth that were in the Old Testament and in the New? The people of God are those who had a heart to love God. Amen. And God gave that to them. Yes, He did. And they loved Him. And they learned how to love their neighbor. They learned how to love God too. David in uh, Psalm 119 verse 167 said my soul hath kept thy testimonies and I love them exceedingly he's talking about the law of God and I say of course he's under the law and of course he loves him but in Acts chapter 13 and verse 22 God pulls back the curtain on David. And God said, you want to know something about David? Yes. You want to know something about David? Come on. David was a man after my heart. Yes. David was a man after my own heart. Which shall fulfill all my will. What do you say, brother? Ah, David didn't fulfill the will of God. Look at this. We can, we can list his sins by the multitude. Uh, you can. God doesn't. Because David was justified by faith. And a man justified by faith can stand before a holy God whose eyes can pierce through the depths of his soul and find no sin. And God's testimony of David is, this man's after my heart. So when he wrote Psalm 119, which I believe he did write, Amen. he said, I love thy testimonies. Do you ever use the phrase, the term, the psalm, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee? Yes. Right. Huh? Have you? Huh? You know what you're talking about. When you quote that verse, you know what you're talking about. You're talking about the law of God. Yes. Amen. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto, right? The law of God. Oh God. The whole of Psalm 109. We quote verses out of that for Christians while we tell the same Christians, you're not under the Ten Commandments. The Old Testament law and the prophets teach to love our neighbor. Leviticus 19. Leviticus right in the middle of the law. Leviticus 19, read it sometimes. Verse 18 says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Zechariah chapter 7 of the prophet says, chapter 7 verse 10, And oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. Let it not be said among God's people that we imagine evil against our neighbor. That's strangely akin to what James teaches us is true religion and undefined. The truth of loving God and our neighbor is found in the New Testament. Go with me back if you're not in the Old Testament. Go with me over to the book of Romans chapter 13. 
Romans chapter 13. The same man that wrote that we are not under the law wrote these words. Let me say something to you young Christians. The old ones too, for that matter. God never contradicts Himself. Okay? You read one verse that says, we're not under the law, and a chapter later, you say, love is the fulfilling of the law, and you say, uh, we're not under the law. Okay. And this chapter says, love is the fulfilling of the law. And don't put those two verses against each other. And by the way, it's in the same two books, Romans and Galatians. <laughs> Don't put those things. God's not at odds with himself. No, brother. Amen. There's no contradiction in the scripture. What do I believe, brother? Ben? Well, I believe we're not under the law. What do I believe, brother? Well, I believe we're supposed to be fulfilling the law. Brother Pat, you're confused. No, I'm not. The scripture says it. <laughs> Amen. The scripture says it. We'll get to that in a minute. Romans 13, verse 8 says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. I've often wondered how in the world the law, in, as it is interpreted here, can be abrogated if we are fulfilling it. How can it be destroyed if we're fulfilling it? Right. And, and here Paul is talking about the Ten Commandments. He's not talking about the civil or ceremonial laws of Israel. For this, and he confirms that he's talking about the King Commandments in verse 9. Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment that is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is a fulfilling of the law. Love is a fulfilling of the law. What law? Israel's Bilateral covenant of works? No, 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 that's been done away with. What law? Well, read it in the text. This has to do with the Ten Commandments. Amen. So what do we find here in Romans 13, verses 8 through 10? Well, the first thing we find is that by loving one another, we are fulfilling the law. We're actually fulfilling the law of God by loving one another. Fulfilling the law of God with regard to adultery, killing and stealing and lying and defaming the character of brothers and sisters. You know, tattling and carrying tales and, and gossiping. You know, you know, you're destroying a person's character. You're destroying their name. You're murdering them. It's killing them. Fulfilling the law means we don't do those things. If we love them, we're going to do what we can. Love covers. Love bears. Love doesn't harm. Love is not only fulfilling the law, but love is demonstrated by our efforts not to harm our neighbor. Not just physically, but Spiritually, especially, and, and emotionally, we don't harm people. As our brother reminded us, we do good. God's people. We try to do good to people. Go to 
Galatians chapter 5 again. For verse 13, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. And I've heard a multitude of messages on verse 13, and I think just keep going another verse. Keep going. Just keep reading. One more verse is all you need to add to it. Because verse 14 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. What do we find here in Galatians 5, verses 13 through 14? Well, the first thing is, we find is that true Christians are called unto liberty. They are. We are. We are called unto liberty to walk in freedom to Christ, with Christ. If we believe the truth, the truth sets us free. But it does not set us free to sin. It does not set us free to harm people. It does not set us free to live to the flesh. It does not set us free to live for the world. It does not set us free to be carnal, to gossip and complain and murmur. It does not set us free to do those things. It sets us free to love God and love our neighbor. Christian liberty is not to be used for an occasion of the flesh. Right. Christian liberty lends, leads to serving one another. True, genuine Christian liberty looks at a brother and sister and says, how can I help them? How can I serve them? What can I do for them? That's good. To serve one another. And serving one another flows from our love for one another and our love for our neighbor. And that flows out of what God has told us to do in His Word. Neither Christian liberty nor biblical love, according to Paul in Galatians 5, stand in opposition to the law of God. And yet, I've heard that it is in opposition to the law of God. And the law of God is in opposition to Christian liberty and Christian love. But it is not. Paul puts them together in two verses. All three words show up. He's writing under inspiration of God. And God, he's writing to church that is being lied to by Jews about going back and getting under Moses. And he's correcting their thinking. But he doesn't correct their thinking by saying you're not supposed to fulfill the law as a Christian. He corrects their thinking by saying that if you're a Christian, you're at liberty to fulfill the law. Fulfill the law. You have liberty to love your neighbor. You have liberty to serve them. And if you do that, you are fulfilling the law. So neither Christian liberty nor biblical love stand in opposition to the law of God. Neither does the biblical understanding of the law of God. I said a biblical understanding of the law of God stand in opposition to liberty or love. It is the design of God, the ultimate purpose of God, the end goal of God in giving the law to teach us how to love. So how are we supposed to quickly, how are we supposed to understand the word fulfilled and fulfilling as they're found in Romans 13 and Galatians 5? The word, if you look it up, means that we have a moral responsibility to fulfill the law of God. Oh, Brother Pat, putting us under bondage now. No. 
Do you love God? I don't. I mean, if if you love God, you want to do the right thing, don't you? I mean, when God saved me, I didn't have a, I had less than a thimbleful of knowledge of understanding, but I wanted to do right. I'd read of all that stuff that was in my house. I, no one told me about that. Get out of that stuff. No one told me that stuff. Cut your hair. I'll give you an indication of where I was at. No one told me that stuff. I just wanted to. I'm a Christian. How is it, listen to the question, that Paul in Hebrews 8 taught that the law is abrogated and Paul in Romans 13 and Galatians 5 taught that the law is fulfilled by Christians. Have you ever wrestled with that question? Because both are in the Scriptures. And I told you I believe it was abrogated. And I told you that we're not we're supposed to fulfill it. How is it that the same man, and I believe he wrote Hebrews, yes, who wrote, this is abrogated, destroyed, by 70 AD it was gone. There was nothing standing in Jerusalem, not one stone upon another. Right. It was gone. Scattered to the wind. And so Paul writes, fulfill the law. Think about what the scriptures are teaching us here tonight. How is it that you can say, this is abrogated, and you're fulfilling this if you love your neighbor? Because both are true. Yes. It is true that the bilateral covenant of works has been abrogated. That is true. Yes. It is also true that the end goal of the Ten Commandments that we should love God and love our neighbors has not been abrogated. Amen. So, when Jesus Christ in Matthew 5 and verse 17 quickly said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Amen. The word destroy is where we get our word abrogated from. There we go. Exactly the same place. I am not come to abrogate the law. I have come to, I'm not come to destroy it. I'm not come to demolish it. I've come to fulfill it. Fulfill it. Well, that rings a bell. Romans 13, fulfill. Romans, Galatians 5, fulfill. Well, I wonder if those Greek words are the same. Have you ever studied like that? Yes, sir. You need to. Amen. Because those Greek words are the same. That's it. Yes. Christ came to fulfill the law. Paul said in Romans 13 and Galatians 5 that when we love our neighbor, we're fulfilling the law. Search it for yourself. What it means is this, that the Ten Commandments have not been deprived of their force, have not been deprived of their ultimate end, their ultimate goal. Though he did indeed abrogate, destroy, the law as a bilateral covenant of works, yet he did not abrogate the moral law of God from its in purpose of love to God and our neighbor. The English word fulfill 
And Matthew 5 is the same word in Romans 13 and Galatians 5. I want to close with 1 John chapter 5. Amen. 1 John chapter 5. Now look, let me say plainly, please, let me say honestly and plainly, I know that a one message cannot and may not answer all your questions. Right. I got that. I understand that. Okay? I'm not trying to answer all your questions. If you don't go away tonight with anything else, except that when God gave the Ten Commandments, His divine purpose, the goal, the end purpose of God was to teach us how to love Him and to love us our neighbor. If you don't go away with anything else, all the rest of it could be all the history, throw all the history out if you want to. Throw Throw out all the Greek words. Throw it all away. Throw it all away. Except one statement. God's purpose was to teach us how to love. Amen. We're not allowed to have our own definition of love. I ran up against that and have run up against that throughout my whole ministry. Oh, Brother Pat, I think we ought to just love. And what they were saying is, just, you know what, Brother Pat, just sort of uh, squishy, fluffy. <laughs> That's not love. Do that to your enemy. Huh? It's the same word, by the way. Yeah. Same word, love your enemy. Love your neighbor, love your enemy. You got that warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart for your enemy? No, you don't. So what is God teaching us? What did God say about our enemies? If they're hungry, what are we supposed to do? Feed them. It's the right thing to do. Love is doing the right thing by God and by our neighbor. You're thirsty, I'm going to give you a drink of water. You're naked, I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to do the right thing. Somebody told me recently, Brother Pat, I don't believe that's the definition of love. This person is way out in left field on some things. and I just leave that alone. He stands and falls before his own master. I said, whether you believe it or not, God says to love our enemies and your definition doesn't fit that. You cannot do that. And yet it is a command incumbent upon Christians. If my enemy is hungry, my understanding is that when I was an enemy of God, he fed me. He took care of me. Gave me life and breath and all things that I needed. My understanding is that my father does things to lost people, does things in their life that I can't I can't grasp the mercy, the level of mercy that is bestowed. I, you know, I see things in the world. I said, Lord, just strike them down. <laughs> no, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say it that way. I, maybe I'm the only one in this room that thinks that way, but I see things and I said, how can that be? And then I back off and I said, Lord, I remember that I too was your enemy. Yeah. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth 
that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Amen. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, you have been born of God. Amen. And connected with that, everyone that loveth Him that begat, that is, God, everyone that loves God, loveth Him also that is begotten of God, that is, loves Christians, those that are born again. By this, by this love, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. This is how we know. Verse 3, for this is the love of God. This is it. What is it? That we keep His commandments. Well, aren't the commandments of God grievous as burdensome? Laborous? No. No. Verse 3. His commandments are not grieving. Right. Because we love Him. And from the heart, that's right. It's the right thing. It's the right thing to do. Love the Lord tonight. Do right by Him. You love your neighbor tonight? Do right by them. So you just follow the letter, Brother Pat? I've already answered that question, haven't I? <laughs> the life in the Spirit. The life in the Spirit of those letters. Father, bless your word tonight. Help us. Help us to grasp your purpose of, in giving us the commandment that teach us how to love. It is a foreign thought in many minds and hearts. Even in mine, Lord, I don't seem to grasp the depths of it. I pray you teach me. I pray you help me. Those that are before me tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.